Welcome to the High Action Podcast, everybody. Episode 20. Today, we are going to talk about practice routines, and I am joined by my cohorts in the New West Guitar Group. We've got Perry Smith out in Brooklyn and Will Brom in Long Beach. I'm John Story. I'm in Studio City, California on this beautiful February day to which we are recording is Valentine's Day, funny enough. Um, but again, we so appreciate you guys tuning in for this season and for this episode today. Uh, a special note, this episode is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Archtop Festival, held September 9th through 11th in beautiful Old Town, Arvada, Colorado. Uh, it's a festival focused on the builders, players, and appreciators of the Archtop Guitar. New West Guitar Group is one of the official artists of the 2022 festival. And while others are to be announced, you should visit archtopfestival.com or visit Instagram at archtopfestival uh, to learn more. Uh, I got to go in 2019 and it was incredible. We had so much fun. Um, the main coordinator of the festival is Peter Henriksen with Henriksen Amplifiers. He did an amazing job. Uh, so we hope to see everybody out there in person. Um, New West will be giving a clinic, doing some performing, and we'll probably be integrating the High Action Podcast a little bit into that festival too. So once again, visit archtopfestival.com to learn more about the Rocky Mountain Archtop Festival. Great to see you guys. How you doing in Long Beach, Will? Everything is A-OK here. How about you, John? Hey, you know what? Didn't wake up with any broken strings on the guitar, so it's a good day today, at least. How about you, Perry? How's Brooklyn? How's uh, the weather out there? Yeah, it's pretty cold. It's snowed. <laughs> it's like 20 degrees, but I'm, I'm ready to practice. I'm ready to get into our practice routines and talk about the guitar. There's something about the cold weather. Cold weather, you guys know, it makes me want to practice. Makes uh, makes everybody want to practice. Makes everybody want to stay inside. You know, compared to Will and I out here, um, you know, I might go surfing later today. I don't know. We'll see. Um, what a life. been one of the challenges of living in Southern California. It's so great outside that sometimes we have to force ourselves to stay inside, or for that matter, go outside with our instrument and take time to practice. Today's theme: practicing, and for that matter, practice routines. Uh, it's an interesting topic, like many of the topics we've talked about on High Action, because you talk to every guitar player and everyone's going to answer this differently, um, whether they have a practice routine or not, and what actually practice means to somebody. Because I find that when you talk to a lot of musicians, practicing can be everything from just sitting down and listening to a record to woodshedding your scales and arpeggios for hours and hours on end. So to start off, I was just curious, you know, to Perry, actually, let's start with you. Sure. What would be your kind of household definition of practicing? Household definition of practicing? Um, well, I guess it's just the consistent sort of effort that you put into honing your craft. Um, mm -hmm. And certainly I've developed a routine uh, over the years that has shifted and evolved in certain ways. But it's really based towards keeping myself sharp for the performances that are coming up or the recordings that are coming up. And um, the guitar is such a physical instrument, you know, and, and it really requires a lot from not just our hands, but our bodies too. And so there's a lot of practicing that goes into just kind of staying sharp and being ready to uh, execute um, from a physical standpoint. 
Uh, there's right. also practicing that involves sort of the mental aspect and getting your head in the right space and sort of clearing your mind. Um, that's another big part of practicing. So, yeah, I guess to define it, it's just um, the work and the effort that you do consistently uh, towards honing your craft. I like that. How about you, Will? That's a great point. Um, I think one point that Perry brought up, the listening aspect, if you're driving in the car, if you're on the subway, you, you can practice. You can really listen and hone in, even if it's just ear training. I think that should absolutely be considered a part of practicing, aside from your instrument. And also what Perry brought up that was good is being able to enter that zone in your mind where everything else fades to black and you're just focusing on your instrument and your connection with it. Right. Well, and I think a theme here that both of you guys brought up too is repetition of this. You know, I mean, we've been listening to music forever as music lovers, but also as somebody, people who have a practice in music and we have to do that regularly. And there's inactive listening and active listening. You know, when we're just kind of listening for fun and maybe it's in the background or, you know, if we're driving, uh, we probably are focusing a little bit more on the road than exactly what's going on on the record. For me, active listening is often in my studio in the ideal situation with my monitors and I've got my guitar in my hand and I'm really working on learning some of the music on the recording, perhaps leading me down the road of transcription. Uh, for me, I define practicing as just the art of repetition and the art of exploration within a very focused area on our voice or instrument. So I feel like the word practice in of itself sometimes has a negative connotation like chore or task or work. But I don't know, the, the more I go deeper in this career and this path of being a musician, the more enjoyment and honestly relaxation I find with practicing because it oftentimes leads me to just naturally be able to play this instrument and understand what's going on in jazz, uh, you know, a, a little bit more, but both by training my ears and by training my hands. Uh, you know, something as simple as sitting down and just playing your major scale. You know, you'd think after playing guitar for 20 years that something like that would be so boring and so mundane. But every time I play my scales, I'm, I'm listening for new things. The pick attack, the finger. I mean, I'm going to the nth degree. I mean, do you guys, I mean, Perry, do you find that sometimes the most basic things on this instrument as a professional musician, you often catch yourself really like finding the ultimate nuance with something like playing a major scale? Yeah. And I mean, in, in that sense, they're not really basic, are they? Right? Like, there's so many little details that you can address when you're practicing uh, scales, arpeggios, all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I do the same thing, John, when it comes to the scales and the arpeggios that I'm practicing, I'm really listening for how I'm getting the tone, how I'm getting the feel on my instrument. And, um, also I think a big part of it, since everybody has different kinds of techniques, uh, is trying to make sure that you're staying relaxed when you're practicing, right? That you're not building tension, so something as, uh, basic as you said which is not always basic as the chromatic scale starting in a that's a great scale to kind of just make sure when you're playing between your right hand and your left hand that there's not an excess of tension and if there is why is there tension there and trying to kind of address those issues 
through scales and arpeggios uh, is, is really useful when, when practicing. And, and one last thing I'll mention is that um, I found that this idea of tension changes over the years. When I was younger, I never felt like I needed to warm up quite as much. But I'd say in the last like five to eight years, I've found that it's more crucial to warm up my fingers, um, that I can loosen them up a little bit more, especially when I warm up slowly. So if you like come out the gate and you you know start burning on the guitar right away, sometimes in five minutes, your your hands are a little sore. Like you know you gotta at least for me, it's important these days to kind of like practice slowly on some of these things to give my hands a chance to kind of open up um, physically. Indeed, and that's such a great segue, too, into actually breaking down what a practice routine is because we have to start by warming up, yeah. and it's a physical warm-up. To me, it's also a mental warm-up or almost yeah. sometimes a mental cool-down if I've been in the bus- middle of a busy, stressful day or I just got done teaching and I don't really want to practice. Sometimes I have to meditate for a second and really slow down so that I want to just dive into the guitar and, and the music and sort of tune out you know, a little bit of the rest of the world. I'm curious, Will, what's one of your primary warm-up uh, methods when you sit down and practice? Mm-hmm. Well, first, I would like to say, and I feel you two probably feel the same way, for me, practicing is church. Like, I want to practice, and it makes me feel better. And I think in general, <clears throat> that would be something to reach for if you're getting started in music is getting to that place where practicing feeds you rather than, oh, I have to practice, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys feel the same way. So that being said, kind of similar to what Perry did with the chromatic scale, um, almost always the first thing I do is I try to play every fret on the guitar just to get my day started. So that basically means playing the scale two different ways um, across each string, including the open strings. Also, ascending maybe on a single string and being able to hit every fret. Shift, shift. And I try to keep it all even. Etc. That's, I usually start with that kind of every time just to get all four fingers moving across every single fret, you know, yeah, it's, greeting it's every almost fret. A, no, a great way to like discover for you that instrument that you have. Um, oh gosh, you know, I'm fretting out a little bit here or these strings feel like I could change, they should be changed or the, maybe I should lower the bridge. Oftentimes I find that just that warm up is when I'm really connecting to an instrument. And sometimes I find I'll go play a gig and on the gig, I'll be like, gosh, this guitar, it's not feeling right to me. And when I sit down to warm up on, I'll be like, oh, I know what's going on. The neck needs a little bit of an adjustment. Um, and I'm, we, I've all learned some basic guitar maintenance techniques over time, but sometimes I discover that in the warm up too. And that's a really cool idea, like connecting to everywhere on the instrument. Um, you, you know, you, you bring up a really good point too. And it is this idea that we don't have to practice. We get to practice Mm -hmm. and changing that view of this to where we have the opportunity to sit down with our instrument, um, versus it being a chore and a task. Right. And I've often found that for me, why I procrastinate is because I'm stressed out. And so in order to be not stressed, I have to sit down and really 
focus in the moment, maybe turn on some music at first and listen to something like listen to some Wes, and that's going to inspire me. Um, as one of our mentors, Bruce Foreman, always said, the hardest part of practicing is just taking the guitar out of the case. So for those who are watching on Patreon, they can see that behind me, I have like almost all of my guitars out now because when I practice, sometimes I want to switch around and change instruments and have some fun on on a different guitar, and it inspires me to practice different types of of things. And it also might force me to warm up differently too. If I'm playing acoustic guitar with my fingers, I have to warm up my right hand as well as my left hand. Just curious real quick too, what are a couple stretches that you guys like to do, or for that matter, that you avoid in order to prevent some of the common injuries that we face as musicians when we practice too much? Stretches, huh? That's a good one. I mean, I don't actually do any uh, specific stretches before or after practicing. Uh, <laughs> I do yoga, so yeah, that's yeah. something that I think helps, you know, uh, my physical nature as I approach the guitar. But no, I don't. I don't try to do too much, um, mainly because I'm not super confident that what I'm doing is going to actually help. Sometimes I feel like I could, I could uh, do harm to my hands or my yeah. wrists if I stretch in the wrong way. So I just kind of like try to avoid the tension in my playing, and that yeah. I think helps uh, helps your hands out a lot. That's that's cool. Will, do you have any anything that you do in particular? Yeah, um, I I do some stretches every morning. It kind of similar to Perry. I'm no expert at it, but I do things that make me feel good. Um, I'd say one thing that I've found is alleviating some tension in the wrist by lightly just pulling forward on my hand, and what you're doing is like extending your hand out a little bit out of your forearm, not too much, but I think I find that that alleviates a lot of tension that we carry, especially in our wrists, particularly for me, my right wrist, my picking hand. Yeah. Um, I find that useful. And again, the Theragun is absolutely great every mm. morning. Interesting. Yeah, I have, I've had a shoulder injury the last two years, and my physical therapist works a lot with guitarists. And he said that there's a lot of myths out there about stretching, in particular the one where you put your hand up and you pull your hand yeah. back. And you do this. He said that really should be avoided. Um, he said simply putting your arms at a 90-degree angle. Again, for those who are watching the video or on Patreon, they can just see. And you just turn your wrists circular very, very slowly, not too fast. That that can just help your tendons at least line up. Um, because carpal tunnel syndrome, of course, is one of the main enemies in tendonitis with guitar players, and tendonitis is an inflammation of those tendons. So in the warm-up, we have to be very aware of, do I feel tension? Do I need to stop for a second and just move my wrists? And like you said, Will, I mean, that's interesting. Um, you know, it's always good to talk to a doctor or physical therapist. I highly recommend any serious guitarist out there go meet up with a physical therapist every now and then and learn about your particular posture, some things that you might be doing that might be hurting and applying pressure to your shoulders, your back, your arms, or your wrists. Um, and of course, within the warm up portion of a practice routine, this is often where a lot of this stuff lights up. And if you're not paying attention, you can cause repetitive injury, which can really lead to some serious issues. We all know guitar players who've dealt with this, and I I'm dealing with it right now with my left shoulder, for sure. Mm -hmm. So further, with the practice routine, I'm really curious to talk to both you and, and Perry, Perry and Will here about where we go from here, because naturally we're going to warm up. But it seems like at this point, we kind of have open range to what we practice. I mean, 
we want to practice something with, we want to have a goal. We want to kind of have a little bit of an end game. Um, we have to also feel like we're accomplishing something because if we don't, you know, it becomes frustrating chasing the horizon every single day with this instrument. So um, curious, Will, after you warm up, what's kind of a typical practice routine if you have anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour of time to sit down and practice? And again, I'm being conservative with time here because the duration to which we practice can change every single day. Sure. The most important thing is that we practice every day. And I feel like it's so important to set reasonable goals with how much time we play. So I'm curious after mm -hmm. the warm up, what do you usually do, Will? Well, let me give an example. Recently, I've been uh, working on memorizing a new tune of mine. And I put myself in a mindset where I'm just playing chorus after chorus after chorus after chorus after chorus of these changes and then maybe switching to just comping through them, maybe with a metronome or maybe not with a metronome, but kind of using a tune as a practice device, which is huge. And it's a way to get out of the practice mindset and go, okay, I'm going to play through this X amount of times without stopping. And if I make a mistake, so be it. But I want to keep it going, basically treating it like a miniature performance. But using a tune as a practice vessel is kind of like what everyone should get to in order to be making the music as opposed to be, as opposed to practicing the music. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. great. And you know, um, that's an interesting point that you talked right away about memorizing something. Mm -hmm. um, Perry and I both years ago did a classroom teaching thing together where we learned a lot of formal instruction about how we teach. And one of the things we learned is Bloom's taxonomy of higher learning. And the basis of Bloom's taxonomy is that everybody begins learning by remembering or recalling something and then understanding it. So for musicians, that often means that we're recalling the music, we're trying to remember it, and we're trying to memorize it. And for those out there who are listening and have, haven't yet felt success with memorizing music, or they might be playing a local coffee shop gig and they're using the real book every week, one of the best challenges you can set for yourself with practicing is to commit songs and chord changes to memory because it changes your whole outlook on the music when you can sit down and play with other people and when you can play memorized. As we do in New West, it's been one of the main parts of a New West guitar group performances that we play totally memorized. Um, Perry, how about yourself? What's the further routine for you once you've uh, gotten yourself warmed up? Yeah, well... <clears throat> The warm-up is, is, can be rather extensive because I like, uh, I like doing scales. I feel like it's kind of like eating your vegetables or something, you know? Like, it, it makes me feel good, and um, arpeggios as well. Uh, so I'll usually start with um, doing, like, thirds, you know? Like, something like that. I'll usually pick a couple different scales and I'll go all the way up the neck with it. Maybe I'll also use harmonic minor. And just go all the way up um, through the different modes with that. And then I usually follow that with the Segovia scales. We've talked about that before on the podcast, but that's that's a rather uh, extensive warm-up. Um, and then a lot of times I do uh, arpeggios. So I'll do like the five different positions of arpeggios. Ooh, that last position can, nice, be, nice. can be funky. But I'll usually take that through major seven, dominant seven, minor seven, 
um, uh, diminished, half diminished, I mean, and augmented. I'll usually take those through that sequence. And then I might work on some drop two, drop three voicings, just kind of going through through those. Um, and then usually from that point on, I feel like I've covered some some just sort of some basics in terms of getting my hands warm. And then I'll try to shift to some music. So I'll usually work on uh, music that I have to learn for a gig that's coming up and to address Will's point about memorizing stuff. That's kind of where the goal is to at least get a good handle on the music to where you're not like, your head's not stuck on the page, even if I can't get it memorized. I at least want to have a good handle on it. Uh, and then something else that I've done for a lot of years, probably like 15 years or something, is I sort of have a running playlist that changes um, from time to time. And I'll, I'll share my screen for the Patreon folks here. I think I have this one listed as current practice number one. But I'll just play along with these tracks um, because I feel like it's a little bit more of a natural way to practice than, say, like a backing track on YouTube or your iRealBook track. Sometimes that just feels so uh, inhuman, you know, to mm -hmm. me. But I'll just put on, you know, kind of a varied track and, and try to play with it. The first one I have here is Jerry Berganzi's You're My Everything. Um, I don't know if this is coming through. Probably not because I didn't share my sound. But I yeah, this not. is... This it. is sort of what I end up doing is um, practicing along with <clears throat> recordings. And if you do that over and over again, I feel like it really helps cement your understanding yep. of a song and the language. And I transcribe parts of stuff from it, but more of it is just trying to get into the feel and the essence and the vibe of the recording. And then the last thing I'll say, which I think we're also going to address at a different point in the podcast too, is... I record myself. I'll use my phone and use my little voice memo and I'll record, you know, three or four minutes of me playing over a tune and then I'll stop and listen back to it. And I'll be like, okay, how, how are my eighth notes feeling here? How are my triplets feeling here? How, you know, am I building this solo? And I'll just try to help sort of become my own teacher. And if I can squeeze that into like 45 minutes or an hour, then that's terrific yeah. for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that seems great. I mean, the the idea that we record ourselves can often be like a really harsh thing for those who, especially at the beginning of this process, don't really feel like they sound good. And something I tell a lot of my jazz students is it takes years to sound good in terms of playing jazz music. At first, you're yeah. really just trying to get a grip on things. And, you know, the sooner you can listen back and be like, you know, I have a natural kind of way of playing something on the guitar and I want to emphasize that or bring out a sweetness in my sound. Some people go for a darkness in their sound and some people go for a certain kind of attack with the way that they play on the guitar, whether it's super light or maybe a little bit heavier. And it's so great to record. And not to mention, it's really fun years later to listen back to what you sounded like. I mean, just before we recorded today's podcast, we were talking about some early recordings of the New West Guitar Group 15 years ago. I have some of those, I have a few recordings of us, and it is pretty fun to listen back to what we sounded like back in the day. And granted, then it wasn't necessarily something that was fun for us but we you know we record ourselves after every show and listen back to it as a way to rehearse and to practice as an ensemble that's an excellent point yeah excellent point the point to add to this though is there's got you got to be careful with that right because that's very much the left brain side of your uh um musicianship the analytical part and if that starts creeping in 
when you're performing and trying to be in the moment and trying to be more in the right brain, then you can have some issues. So I always find there's like a sweet spot when it comes to recording. Like, you know, like we would talk about on our tours, we would record maybe the first couple of shows, then we've got an idea and then you let it go. Um, So you have to be careful with with that. You don't want to um, become too overly analytical. Right. Well, and, you know, by the way, for those who are listening, when we say practice recording too, we're not necessarily talking about practicing your recording skills because there's a whole set of skills that we have to learn in order to record ourselves, such as miking techniques, how to mix ourselves, how to send a track. But by actually recording ourselves often in the raw, it just means using our voice memos on our phone. Uh, There's so many great apps. The Sure Motive app is an excellent app I recommend people Mm -hmm. get because it allows you to zoom your sound in with your phone. Um, So there's all sorts of things we can use to help with our practicing. Um, Just to give you a a little bit of a rundown of the routine that I like to do, um, after we warm up, then I like improvising right away. And the thing that I love improvising on over every single day of my life is the 12-bar blues. To me, just playing a blues, uh, one or two choruses or more, oftentimes gets me thinking and searching right away and getting that part of the creative right brain thinking going. And as you said, Perry, it is so true to identify what are the modes of learning which we're using the analytical side of our mind and what are the modes of learning that we're using the creative side of our mind. Because we have to get into a practice of channeling our creativity as fast as we can and getting out of our own way. Because oftentimes with improvising, students sit and they think, what scale over what chord? What note over what chord? Is this the A section? And that's why starting off with playing a blues, something that for many of us we know like the back of our hand, you don't have that resistance right away. You're just starting off with something. And I love the idea, Perry, of keeping a playlist on, say, your iTunes or your Spotify or whatever you're using um, cause that's, that gives a real tangible list of things that are, that you're focusing on and yeah. particular artists, yeah. right? That's a great idea. So generally after improvising, then I want to dig right into learning a new concept. Because again, if we're working up Bloom's taxonomy, we go from memorizing, rem- remembering, understanding, then we go to analyzing and applying. So to me, that means sitting down and identifying an area of my playing that I want to work on and learn a new concept. A great example would be new chord shapes and identifying a particular part of the neck where I'm going to go around and I'm going to play a bunch of two fives, you know, you know, just like right there, I was doing just some small two, five, one motions above the eighth fret. And you might need a supplement for this. A supplement might be your teacher that you're talking to to write out some chords or a book like Chord Chemistry by Ted Green or another method book that can help you. So oftentimes with learning a new concept, I might be using other materials at that point to be learning a new idea and applying it. This also can mean playing another instrument. So grabbing my classical guitar, playing some solo classical pieces, playing steel string and working on open string riffs. There's many functional techniques on guitar that are specific to certain types of instrument. And that's often the bulk of my practicing is that learning a new concept. That can take up most of my time because, again, warming up and then playing a blues should be kind of the launch pad for me to dive into more of the analytical. And then after that, up the application of it. So playing through a tune and using some of those two five shapes like what I just played Lastly, I like winding down the practice session with doing some sight reading 
and using a method book like Bill Levitt, Modern Method for Guitar is excellent for students out there, or Melodic Rhythms for Guitar. There's a whole series of books that he did, um, which are excellent for guitarists specifically. Um, curious, Will, what's what's something that you recently have been using as a source for your sight reading material? Um, I mean, I have <clears throat> it's Bach, it's it's Bach. I also, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it, but. I also really enjoy um, uh, the uh, violin caprices. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I bought the arrangement for flute, mm-hmm. <laughs> meaning it's basically just single lines. Because um, if you buy the Paganini violin caprices, it's really hard, and it's kind of just impossible on the guitar. Um, at least to play it to tempo, but as solo melodies, it's much more doable. And, um, that's, that's what I love to sight read. Can I add one more thing in to what you and Perry were talking though? Indeed. Do you guys ever, uh, mess with drop two, four chord inversions? I don't think so. Oh the, the blank looks on your faces Let's tell me see. no. Yeah. Probably not. So, so <laughs> drop two would be that basically four consecutive notes um four consecutive drop strings, three right yes four consecutive strings drop three usually includes a um a string skip so drop two four it actually has two string skips in it so i'm playing g on the e string d on the a string b on the g string f sharp on the b string you could also do that on the A string. You can only play these rooted on the E string or the A string because they're so spread out. But they kind of give a nice hollow orchestral thing to the guitar. You know, that's something I was just practicing. So Yeah, and that's that's again like we can actually read some of that stuff. That's really challenging. I mean, sight reading chord shapes or sitting down and really learning the chord forms and then applying the chord forms. So yeah, that's 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 cool, man. It's a cool process. I mean, there's just so much like this that we can dive into, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we all go through phases where with our practicing we focus on one technique for a while or one set of chord practice for a minute and then we move on from it after a while too. Mm-hmm. Um where does transcribing fit into your guys' practice routine? Perry, is that something you do separately? Do you try to transcribe every single day when you practice? Um, just curious, especially that we're all, being jazz musicians, transcribing is the primary way that we all learn uh, vocabulary, other people's vocabulary and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, years ago, um, I was definitely transcribing on a weekly basis, um, really trying to get into a solo from different people uh, to kind of expand my vocabulary of the foundation of the music. Um, these days, I don't do that nearly as much uh, because I, I just, I guess I have a limited amount of time. I mean, I have nothing against transcribing, but I, I think there's a point at which as a player, uh, you really want to hone your own skills um, and focus as much on that as, as you can not taking anything away from transcribing like um it's still very important like i said i have this playlist that i usually refer to that sometimes changes and evolves and so i will transcribe little things off that but at this stage i'm i'm a little bit more focused on how am i playing you know how am i trying to establish my own vocabulary Mm -hmm. uh will how about yourself you practice are you transcribing regularly too or not 
Uh, on paper, no, I am not transcribing regularly. However, the again, the listening aspect, I think part of my lifestyle, if I'm driving, I'm listening mm -hmm. down. It might be to one album for a week. It right. might, it, you know, but, and or if, you know, listening to Freddie Hubbard's solo on this, and it's like, I just want to listen to this four more times and just imbibe that vibe. Yeah. Which is yeah, part of transcribing. Exactly. And that's, it, that's both active and active listening, which informs our practicing and informs our playing. I, For me, transcribing is almost purely done now for my students. So I'll transcribe a Sonny Rollins solo so that I can use that as lesson material and show that to the student um, and have that be kind of a way for me to relearn something that, you know, like Sonny Rollins is, you know, Sunday at the Village Vanguard, St. Thomas, you know, it's such a great solo. I love and writing it out and showing it where it is in measure for students that are trying to figure out how to phrase ideas and be more rhythmic, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of what we're saying to the listener today is that with the practice routine itself, having a an idea of what generally we do on a regular basis and other things that if we have more time to do that we may include, um, such as sight reading. I might not sight read every single day if I don't have time, but I definitely am warming up and improvising every single day because I'm usually teaching or playing a gig or recording. So I have to do that um, as a professional musician. Uh, but beyond that, if I get an hour to three hours on a weekend to get to practice, that is really wonderful. And when I was in college, Perry, when we were at USC, I mean, gosh, it was not uncommon for us to be in the practice rooms all day long, if not just playing yeah. for all morning and then doing some homework and then playing all night. I mean, we weren't even really keeping track of how many hours we were practicing, right? But it was, we were it, practicing a ton. Yeah, it would get in the, to the double digits for hours yeah. per day sometimes. But to be honest, at that stage, it's not like it was all efficient practicing. It was more of like right. this obsession that you're trying to make sense of. Um, right. But it was still, still important. I mean, I hear from a lot of musicians that that's sort of the, the uh, journey that everybody kind of goes on. Um, That's right. That's I would right. also add like playing different instruments is a good way to kind of uh, help your practice and maybe establish a little bit of a routine, whether it be singing or playing the drums or playing a little bit of piano, uh, just to kind of get your musicianship and your hands away from your instrument, uh, your main instrument for a second, I think is really right. important. Definitely. I know that playing clarinet in my band in high school helped my sight reading tremendously yeah. on the guitar. So playing some piano, some basic single note stuff can help your sight reading on guitar too. Yeah. Um, you know, I challenge a lot of our listeners this week. First of all, if you aren't already, follow us on Instagram. We're easy to find there, just the High Action Podcast. And this week when we post our tile for this episode, I want you guys to list one element that you are currently practicing at least every day, whether it's I'm always warming up or I'm always playing a blues or I'm always sight reading. I'm really curious to hear what some of our listeners are doing. So we encourage you this week, let's all engage and let's challenge ourselves to make that concrete and put that on our Instagram so that we can see what you guys are all doing. Uh, lastly, to close out today's episode, I wanted to give a couple recommendations of some books for some students to check out. Effortless Mastery by Kenny Werner is an amazing book. Yeah. The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, where he talks about 
habits being a, both a decision, but also a repercussion of stress. So that's why we procrastinate. That book helped me break a lot of mental blocks I had with practicing. Hmm. And also uh, Zen Guitar by Philip uh, Sudo is a really interesting book where he talks about kind of Eastern philosophy and how that can help you practice and become more at peace with just being on a practice journey. So do you guys have any other books you, you recommend or anything else for the students to check out? Will? Um, not specific to music, but a great book is The War of Art, hmm. Easy Listen on Audible, and it just talks about <clears throat> the daily consistency of showing up, whether you produce good material, horrible material, mediocre material. Great book. Easy easy listen. Everyone should listen to The War of Art. The cool. War of Art, not The Art of War. The, well, you listen to The Art of War after The War of Art, but first do The War of Art. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's great. Perry, anything else to add with that? Uh, no, I just think there's a lot of power in routine. I mean, um, yep. in general, whether it's in your life or, or in your uh, sort of specific practicing. Uh, one thing I do with students is I have them write it down. You know, So if you write it down, it can help establish it. Um, and then you have something tangible that you can refer to. So yeah, I haven't written mine down, but that's because it's been so many years of honing it that I just kind of know what I'm going to get to every day. Yeah. But if you're struggling to make progress on your instrument, yeah, write down a little routine. It can be 20 minutes and then I guarantee you, you will see progress if you stick with it. Yep. We're, you know, we focus in, in life on things that we love and that's how we set our time up. Learning yeah. how to be good time management people can help this and understand where practicing fits. For me, practicing in the morning these days is the best. I love it. It's the thing I do first thing versus I used to practice a lot more at night too. So for all of our listeners out there, reach out to us. If you have questions, we all teach. We all are people here as a resource. So drop us a question, engage and discuss on our social media, your current practice routine. And uh, yeah, again, it's, it's really fun to just have some time to talk to some other guitar players about this because it's you know, that first point that we all brought up, we don't have to practice. This isn't a chore. We get to practice. Yeah. And the enjoyment of practicing the guitar is something that we all have to kind of find within ourselves a little bit. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well said, John. And um, I want to remind everybody that next week we'll be uh, doing the podcast led by Mr. Will Brom. It's going to be on exploring harmony and mm -hmm. I'm going to try to revisit this whole uh, war on art or art of war subject here that Will's all about. Is, is, is there going to be a war on harmony next week, Will? Is that what's going Absolutely. on? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, there's definitely a war on archtop jazz guitar playing. That's uh -oh. for sure. We Those need to, are... you know, we need to get more people playing archtops. Those are fighting words. Well, yeah. Look forward to next week. And uh, anything else, guys, to add before we bounce out of this joint? No, we just, thanks to all the listeners, we're getting a lot more subscribers and the podcast is really blowing up. Uh, highly recommend you check out our Patreon. We've got some new video content coming up there and we also have a tour that we're announcing in April out here on the West Coast. So stay tuned for all of that on the New West pages. All right. See you guys next week. <laughs>